citing historical people, and now moving into a spiritual realm of the unseen. However, in his ministry thus far, he has liberated people from being demon-possessed. And the liberation of demon-possessed people has already been established as a fact of both his ministry, but he also cited the sons of the priests of, the, of basically the legislative assembly of Pharisees and Sadducees as those who were also exercising demons from people. And we remember that he said that because when he was charged for being under the persuasion of Beelzebub, he said, and your sons, they under persuasion as well from that influence of the devil. So of course that would have stilled their inane argument because if it were true in what they were saying about the Lord, it would be necessary to confront their sons on the very same charge. So we know that the understanding of demonic entity and under the influence of Satan, who's still presently at work, was both contemporary in that day and it is contemporary in our day. And so what we wanna do is see what may be a picture for us when we were looking at the title, or when at least I was uttering the title, No Vacancy, No Vagrancy, it was capturing, I think, for you what we find common when we drive through towns. If it's on any occasion where there's a major event going on, then the thing that usually tests our patience is the sign that says no vacancy. Because that tells us you ain't coming in here. We know you're probably one of those that just was one car too far behind. You were too courteous when you should have been assertive. You got up too late to get going. And so we've all been in that situation where all of the real estate to take us in displays a sign that says you're on the outside and you're not coming in. And we've had our frustrations and we've also had to sleep at times in the vehicle that we were hoping could park in one of those places. And then sometimes we've made it into those places in spite of the sign, only to regret taking the offer that was given to us. Who knew that this was the place they stored all of the cats? Who knew that? I was in one of those places. <laughs> no vacancy. So let's take a look and see what the play is on this and why it's important. When an unclean spirit goes out of a man, he goes through dry places seeking rest and finds none. It is curious in what is the pronoun. See, God's into pronouns. He's, he's not ambiguous. And one of the things that we see both in the spirit world in heaven and the spirit world in terms of demonic entities on earth is they are not given a feminine pronoun. The reason that I think that that's important 
is because that has been something that has been unfortunately um, utilized to, in my opinion, uh, distract from how God has established spiritual authority. And so when there's an association in particular with either, as we've looked at in the Old Testament and Kings, cherubim, as what we see frequently in February, baby-clad angels with arrows that are like warrior arrows going to somebody's heart. That's a fallacy, as it is as well when you see angels being displayed effeminately or as female. There's nothing that in the scriptures we have that validates that. So don't be offended. Don't be offended. But this is also designating itself as gendered, which is interesting because the angels really are genderless. That is true. In other words, they're not fully like us, but at the same time, when they do identify on earth, they are identified in a manner in which they can be called an man. In apparel that was as bright as the sun, and so right now we know that Jesus is giving a communique to those very likely that he has just been exhorting. And he is telling them that in their world, they are right between the forces of heaven that they are to be representing and the forces of darkness that they seem to be succumbing to. And he qualifies that by saying that there are unclean spirits and they go out of a man, meaning that he could be coming back to the point in which he had been found releasing a person from demonic control and citing their sons who had also exercised liberty to free men from demonic control. We don't know, but it could be that this is, in essence, describing what happens when this takes place. And building on it, an important truth that we understand is filling, that's necessary. It says that the spirit, again, goes out of the man. He goes through dry places seeking rest and finds none. That's an interesting term, going through dry places. That's a direct contrast to what the Lord says that the spirit-filled life is, which as likened as torrents of living water that flow from us. It's very much different. I think that that difference speaks to me of refreshment as opposed to a tongue that's hanging out and I'm shrinking. I came up here and said a, bottle of water that I consumed pretty quickly because I thirsted. And every time I drink water, when I thirst, I'm going, man, this is the best drink on earth. That's what Christy always told me. And I, every time I get thirsty, and if you give me a Coke, my inclination will be, yeah, that's good, that's quenching. But it's not the same. When I get water in my mouth and into my gullet, it's just the happiest symphonic work going on in my heart, in my mind. I'm just, wow. And it's like, why did I just grab one? Why didn't I go for the big 
12 ouncer because there's something in us that desires to be refreshed in our life and we know that that refreshment comes from the Lord and the other thing that I want to say is that I believe that when Jesus speaks clearly that this spirit goes through dry places looking for rest I'm really careful not to say spiritually when somebody asks hey you doing I'm dry <laughs> real dry <laughs> It seems to me that I'm having a signage now on my head that says, vacancy, come rest here. <laughs> now I know that that can't happen, but at the same time, I'm having, I'm having just an intellectual ping pong with you that says, I wanna be careful about my spiritual language. And so one of the things I have to say is, Am I really dry? Am I really dry or am I making too much out of what is an incidental, very little thing? I have bodily needs. The Lord meets those. I told you that I'm thirsty. He met my need. I want another bottle of water when the service is over. That's need being met. So I know that spiritually I'm not in that place of per se a weakened state in which my vulnerability by being depleted or if you would completely vacated is going to be an issue for me. It is for some people though who don't have Jesus in their life. They do not read the scriptures with intentions of being washed and changed and challenged. They do not hold dear to them the body of Christ, which is represented by the congregants that come to the house of the Lord. You know, I, I ran into an acquaintance. And in our meeting and just conducting just pleasant social exchange and talking spiritually, the close of it was, oh, by the way, I'm catching a great podcast. The implication was, I'm doing something that's real spiritual, listening to a spiritual podcast, but it's why you're not seeing me where you're at. And I just kind of left the situation in the Lord's hands, and I did, because I can still be gracious and kind, but I'm going, I'm effectually able to conduct a service inside my living room. And I could do it indefinitely, but I would tell you, that I would not like it. As soon as we were able to leave our residencies and what I believed was a challenge of the Lord to me to get the church back in here, I was so happy to brave being thrown into jail, having the state police officers roll in from Kate Brown's office and take me into shackles. The Canadians are screaming at the police, and there is a brother down in Brookings, Oregon, who's also screaming at the police. <laughs> but he sings while he's doing it. It's weird. Different than the Canadian. He's using hockey pucks. So the point being made is that, and by the way, that's Dale's line. <laughs> you always say that. I borrowed it tonight. 
Jesus is serious talking about a principle right now that the spirit life is actually a very desperate life. And the demons are desperate to take desperate people that have vacancies within them out. They like snuggling up to and in as manifestos, the ones that can write on the heart of a man who has no spiritual inclination what they get to do this day, what they should do today. That's completely contrary from God's heart, which is why you see in the news with great frequency such sad, consequential outcomes of death, of really just despicable and unnecessary consequences that are a violation of another person's innocence by one who truly is under the influence, in my opinion, of demonic entities. Can Christians behave in ways that would leave them as charged guilty for something heinous? There are those that can do that. And I believe the law makes provision in hearing their side of the story. Usually, though, they are under the influence of something. It could be the influence of emotions. It could be the influence of drug and alcohol. Those things are very possible. But there are those who, again, know better, and there are those who actually just want something better, and they can't figure out what's going on. And so this is that descriptor. I will return, it says, to my house from which I came. And when he comes, he finds it empty, swept, and put in order. The demonic entity that was in habitation goes out. Apparently not much to do there, who knows? Maybe it was leaving because somebody was making an effort to change their way. And it would indicate that on the return, the place is swept in order. So I want to propose something of what this means as well. It's the renovation of a human being trying to, by works, let go of things that are in the flesh. Basically, it's somebody says, I got to change this in my life. I've got to do more of this, less of that a little bit of this, I've got to put things behind me, I've got to dress differently, behave differently, I've got to change my language and my group. They're doing all of the things that one would say is sweeping the house. The problem is, is the house is void of a filling. If I were to sweep out my home and you were to visit it, but there were no furnishings in it or people to occupy those furnishings, you'd be going, this is your house? Hey, yeah, isn't it cool? No. No, actually it's not. It doesn't seem hospitable to me whatsoever. Where's your table? Well, it's just a table. Yeah, but I'm used to having food on a table. Where are your appliances? Well, they've always got to be cleaned. I mean, you know, I have very little dishes to do now. I just order out. What can I order you? I don't want something ordered out. I wanted something intimately 
available to me from your heart to my mouth. I wanted to engage and this is like, okay, it's a house that's vacated. And so that's the premise here is that in this vacating, this spirit comes back and recognizes there's nothing really to keep him from turning this into an animal house fraternity. Do you remember from your college years that the fraternities were usually the ones that made the front headlines in the school paper? Because what were they doing? They were in violation of specific standards that the university would have on behavior. And so, congratulations fraternity, you made Greek names actually odious to parents paying extremely high prices for both sororities and Greeks, or sororities and fraternities under the Greek banner of cohabitation. Men from different areas, women from different areas, and their behavior was quite unlike the intellectual Greek historically, or if you would, the spiritual Greek, even though they weren't worshiping God. And so that shows you that even by attaching yourself to a name that seems to esteem what it is you're doing and therefore couldn't work, not when there was vice that was available to satisfy a vacancy that was vulnerable. The vice was very clearly back in my day, it was the beer halls, the keggers is what they called them. I wasn't a part of the Greek system. You know, I was in a different area of the campus and that wasn't my gig anyways. That wasn't me. And very often the men that go there find out it's really not me either. I don't know why I joined them. The vulnerability though, right now that Jesus is saying is why we don't see change in our culture and why we see continued corruption of the culture is because the vacancies become more evident, more obvious, and it is not being challenged by law. Part of the title, no vacancy, no vagrancy, was actually to give you a parallel. The vagrancy is related to actually what the minimum lawful requirement is, which is civility in a community, and it was actually considered a misdemeanor at one time. Vagrancy means that basically you're moving on the move. You have no established place for gainful employment, and you have no home or residency to establish yourself within the community. You've always got your hand out, or you've got your hand into something else that isn't yours. And so it manifests, if you would, a crime, and it manifests itself into unproductivity. And those things then obviously lead to the influence of bigger things that have even greater corruption and greater consequences. Now this wasn't necessarily to take us to criminal court, but it is important to say that Jesus is establishing a principle here. And as he's speaking about this, he's saying to them, you're void of the very filling 
that would have corrected your vision and made you productive in the position that you occupy. I speak with you, you've hunted me down, and you're clueless as to who I am. You are a house that has a vacancy sign on it, but there's nothing in it. There's nothing that fills you. You're just a house with nothing in it. And yet you walk in my house, it speaks of everything that you've heard me teach. Therefore, in essence, we can say that what they were charging him as under the influence of Beelzebub is actually reciprocating reflectively in the light of his face. And they are under the influence of Beelzebub, the prince of darkness, Satan himself, integrating within the religious system to corrupt the laws of God and the heart of God for the people who have found themselves aimlessly dispersed within the city. God gave a charge to Israel, saying, The needy and poor shall always be in your land. Therefore, do not withhold from your hand that which is good for them. But remember, he said, They shall be in your land, which is different than in their land. See, God's always going to bring individuals on pilgrimage that could say, I've been wandering to a place in which there is light and in which there is food and in which there is water, which is different than what the state of Oregon permits, as well as other states within our nation, which is a system of welfare which moves people from the church unto, into the dependency upon the state or on the national level. I'm not saying that it doesn't have a heartbeat towards it, but what we have discovered is it does not favor the spiritual necessity of being changed by the Spirit of God and to be highly functional in the place that you have experienced that. And so sometimes that can be where the message of the evangel also gets messed up. Because it is both giving the message, but it also has the expectation of being able to give to the messengers. If you receive the message and you now are affected by the outcome of being changed, not just renovated, then you belong in the place that truly is a house that's filled and it's furnished and it's alive with men and women that are gifted. And that's really where we are today as a culture where this is becoming simply, it's optional. Works for you, good. But I'm going to work my garden a little bit more. I'm going to work on some recreational stuff. That's fine. But when you talk about literally the expectation of a church life that minimum says, Sundays are so important and midweeks are so important, it's because what we do understand is that when those are prioritized, guess what? You're the person that for that person out there that is, in essence, a vagrant 
a rogue, a homeless individual, they would love to actually flip places with you if they could. And you know what? They can. No, you don't have to surrender your home. You have to teach them how to surrender their hearts. And you have to say, it must be a renovation of the spirit. Because if it's simply an act of clothes that you'll change, a shower that you'll get, food that may be handed to you, a stamp card that the state of Oregon will pay for you, where are you at? You're perpetuating the cycle that will never better you. You will always be at the mercy of what? The state. And the expectation that favors given or favors returned, check your voting box for the one who gives the mostest, who separates you in that giving from where they need to be the closest, which is Jesus. It's either going to be a president that promises everything or Jesus that promises eternity and throws all of that in with it. No vacancy, no vagrancy. Vacancy, vagrancy. A person has to be filled by the Spirit of God to no longer have a desire to be anything less than the best of what God can make them and actually has purposed for them. Chris and I were taking a walk with Chloe. <laughs> we never walk our dog. We're one of those dog owners. <laughs> Doesn't she look cute? Yeah, what does she do all day? Just looks cute. Moves from that corner of the house to that corner of the house. Why don't you walk her? We don't walk ourselves. <laughs> okay. At any rate, we did walk, and it was a powerful walk to Harris Beach, and Chloe regretted going with us. I had to pick her up like a little lamb the last quarter mile or half a mile. I think I know where I'm going with this, but actually I may have distracted myself. Okay, so... Oh, yeah, so here's... Okay, so I'm on point now. So in our walk, we're going through a very nice trail area made it down, came back up, had to pause a couple of times to pull my britches up and get some deep breaths. And the tree started rustling. And it kind of shocked me because one, you know, Chloe had that kind of like, you know, kind of like she's going to try to be a grizzly bear or something. And, and I'm going, oh, no. And then Chrissy goes, there's somebody in there. I said, really? And so we walk kind of slower. But it was very clear that somebody was taking residency in there, had stashed a bike in there, had chopped down some limbs and so forth, stompled the ground, and that's their habitat for that evening as the sun's falling. And I remember thinking to myself, well, it's innovative and doing the best he can, probably just trying to stay on the low down and out of the way. But at the same time, I thought, man, that would be shocking if I wanted to take a moonlight walk and somebody's in there and what if their intentions are not necessarily honorable but mischievous or cunning or violent I mean I carry a wallet they'll see that I don't carry the cash they'd have to go after Chrissy for that so they'd probably get angry and then I'd really be in trouble but they were one of those who had no place to go at least in that moment they didn't. 
but I wonder if they ever thought about going to their knees. I wonder if they ever had a conversation in which the stars that they would see much more easily and readily than we do in our domestic situation, if they had time because somebody had pointed them to the timeless God who said, you ought to talk to him. You can change your life by changing your opinion about God and the opinion you have of yourself, maybe by what others have critiqued you for. As this demon goes back, searching over dry places, returning and seeing that there's vacancy, it says he goes and takes with him seven other spirits more wicked than himself, and they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that man is worse than the first, so shall it be with this wicked generation. So yes, he's talking about the generation, the populace, but he's talking about to these individuals, which are the religious leaders, to them, so shall it be. And so in about 40 years, just a little under 40 years, everything that they were standing strong on and challenging Jesus in would ultimately prophetically fall to the earth because it was vacated from the Spirit of God based on the refusal to recognize God, the Lord himself. And so in AD 70, it would be decimated just completely, utterly destroyed and ruined. And the people would be scattered and there would be bloodshed significantly, history records. And so the point being made is that demonic activity is real, but so is spiritual demonic influence real within the church. So the church needs to be mindful that this place is important to fill, and it's important to fill for the purpose of people truly moving from renovation. Got my tie on, got my shoes on, got my britches on. I got my game on. I'm good with God now. Only if you're filled, only if you have repented of sin, only if you've come into a saving relationship with Jesus are you filled? The point that I'm making, Dale's phrase, <laughs> with regard to no vacancy is that when you're filled, there is no vacancy. That demonic entity can take advantage of you. You've got every resource available and the vantage, the perspective that God has is your perspective on what's going on and what you're to do about it. You get to live life, and you can, pitying the people, but most importantly, not being ashamed of your piety. It's a great word. It's been used in the negative, but it simply means a spiritual demeanor in which you pose or repose in reverence. You just conduct yourself in a manner that says, he's different. He's fun to talk to. He's rather engaging, he's athletic, she's a wonderful, gifted person in, in where she's working, and 
really what's happening is that those who are pitied see that those who are pious, it's not with our noses up, it's actually with our hearts out. And guess what we get to do? Moving from those who are pitied to those who are pious, we get to pray. For what? Their proper placement. I could go out there and flip burgers all evening long, and I guarantee you, I'd have a crowd. Some of you guys would be back for your evening meal. And I could do that thinking that's God's will. I'll feed their bellies and that'll change them. That's not true. It'll feed their bellies and they'll be changed momentarily in satisfying the void of their bodies, but not the void of their soul. What the Lord wants to do is say, fill up those chambers that are empty. Remember that in the weeks before, Jacob and Boaz, these two huge molded bronze uh, statues, these cylinders that spoke really of the Lord, but by name means that it is the Lord that establishes you and it is in his strength that you remain victorious. Boaz, Jacob, and that is what is needed out there not simply the provision of a morsel, which really in the temporal is, even if it's a big burger with fries on the side and a big blob of pie, it's really just a morsel. It's not a meal that will sustain them beyond the eight hours for the digestive tract to do what it does, eliminate. But the Lord says, in the hunger, in the thirst, in that drive to be satisfied, I also bring to their mind that which has been shared, that they're lacking. And you'll see this tug back and forth of people fighting the normalization of vagrancy. And in part, it's because even judicially we've erred. If we followed biblically the tenets of what God says, and that is to give full weight to a church, not to be humanitarians, but to literally carry the message of change. Well, you would see those people that are hiding out in the trees come to the tree that's represented by a cross, and they would be taking opportunity to say, really, employment, 14 bucks? I'm good for that. I'm good for that, because right now I'm good for nothing. I'm good for that. I remember at 41, my wage was $6.80 coming out of Mexico. And I said, as that was offered to me, I'm good for that. I had no idea how it worked, but I said, I'm good for that. And the Lord just looked down and said, I thought you'd say that. Now tell him you're having a second baby. We're having a second baby. Really? Moved up to $8 just for that. And then within about five months, I became manager of that place and made a fantastic wage of 10 bucks an hour. Rocking now, certainly 41 years of age, maybe 42. Two kids. 
And so the Lord would say to us, is it based on how much you get or how much of me you have? And I've always found that when I, when I say, Lord, I just want as much of you as this column can take, this Boaz and Jacob, I want to be on the inside looking out, but when I go outside, I want to go established and I want to go in strength. And I don't want to be afraid of those that are hiding in the shadows, because I know you're there to protect me. But I also want to have a sure word, not just a sure handout. And that's the, that's the trick. See, it even angers these dogs. They want in here, they actually want to be in the front seat. It's, it's just, it's offending them. <laughs> they just love the word. Or they might be causing a vagrant to say, I gotta change my ways, I shouldn't have hopped that fence. So Jesus in his exhortation right now is one saying that the spirit realm is real, it has consequences. Residency can only take place by a dark spirit, a demonic entity, if the spirit of God is not there in residency. So you need to understand, we don't need to fear, but we can be persuaded and we must not be shaken in our faith. We can be persuaded. We can make decisions that have, in which we just didn't consult the Lord. We just didn't get our rest. We didn't get the word for the day. We didn't stay true to the word that's been given. We didn't hold on to the promises of God. They stumble, being disobedient to the word to which they also were appointed. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. This is what they need to know. They get called out of darkness into his marvelous light as we have been who once were not a people, but are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Beloved, I beg you, as sojourners and pilgrims abstain from fleshly lusts, which war against the soul, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may, by your good works, which they observe, glorify God in the day. A visitation. And it moves in. This is First uh, Peter, as you know. And then submitting yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether to the king, to governors, as to those who are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers. See, evildoers aren't really being punished. They're being tolerated. And once they're incarcerated, they're let go. That's not God's way. God can meet them in a place in which they have no room to take advantage of anything else but prayer and a desire to change their lives. 